So from my side, those of you who are visiting us, uh, my name is Jonathan. I have the great privilege, together with my wife Lindry and a group of elders, to lead this congregation. And I want to thank um, Harry and everyone that shared this morning with our nation's moments. Well, the team that that led us in musical worship. Now I thought we such a powerful moment, and I just feel I want to be honest. Usually, I, I, I prefer not to preach with a nation Sunday. It gets so emotional. <laughs> really pull myself together, thinking about our teams in the nations, thinking about what they're doing. I'm just so proud of Philip and Marika, and Jock and Kirby and Wesley and Yoni and Mozambique. I'm so proud of Ben and Mavis, what you guys are doing. And I'm so humbled to think that God would use people like us, a church like us, to have effect in the nations, to have footprint in Kampala, in East Africa, many places where none of us have even been, and probably places that some of us will never see. And as Harry shared this morning, I pray, and I want to appeal to you that you would participate in the nations, that you would pray for nations, that you would go to nations, and that you would give into nations, because there's something significant that happens in our hearts when we align our heart to God's heart for the nations. I'm reminded of that scripture in Psalm 2 that says, Ask of me the nations, and it will be your inheritance. These moments are powerful because I see something of our inheritance in God. And I want to appeal to you, may it be your inheritance as well. However God is leading you, may you pray, may you give, and may you go. Because ultimately, we're not yet this morning to build every nation's one with us. It's part of what we're called to do, but we had to build this church in order to reach others. That's why we're sending a group of this church to Moikluf, to reach others. That's why we're appealing some of you to stay and build with us, to reach others, to reach nations, to send again. What a great privilege that is. If you're new to our church, this morning might sound, what is happening? (laughs) This is just who we are. Uh, We celebrate what God has called us to and called us to be. Uh, So may you experience God's grace, blessing, and presence this morning as He leads us. Uh, We're going to continue with our series. Um, The series is called Miracles. Those of you who are joining us for the first time for the last couple of weeks, we've spoken into this theme. And throughout the the world, all our every nation churches aligns and unites in the beginning of the year. And we speak and, and pray into specific themes. And this year it's called Uh, miracles. We had our prayer and fast week that was focused on miracles. And in the last couple of weeks, we looked at different miracles that Jesus performed throughout the gospel of John, the account of um, Jesus' ministry through John. And we started, we looked at where Jesus turned water into wine. And what's that significance to us today? And then we looked at how Jesus healed an official son. We looked at the miracle of Jesus walking on water and that, how that challenges us to live according to His will for His kingdom and His provision and relying on Jesus. 
Last week we looked at how Jesus fed the 5,000. We made a call, maybe not just trust for our miracles, but may we trust that we'll be the channel through which God wants to do a miracle for someone else. And today we're going to continue this theme, and we're going to look at how Jesus entered a specific location to demonstrate the grace of God. We're going to focus on how Jesus went to this specific place to demonstrate something of God's mercy and grace. And we're going to look at the miracle of the healing of the paralyzed man. And we're going to find that in John 5 verse 1. If you have your Bible with you, I would love you to follow me um, according in your own Bible, in your own book, in your own Bible. Otherwise, you can follow me on the screen. But before we do this, let's, uh, let's pray together. So, Lord, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what you've been doing throughout the ages. And, Lord, as we're just reflecting back on one specific miracle, Lord, we don't want to limit you to one miracle, Lord. We want to trust that you would continue to do miracles in our lives, Lord. And, Lord, we ask this, that it will not just for us be for us and to bless us and that we may experience you more, that, but that you would advance your kingdom through the miracles that you're doing in our lives. And, Lord, as we look at this specific piece of Scripture, we submit ourselves unto your word, and we trust the guidance of your spirit, and I pray that you would lead me and lead us in your truth, and that you would lead us to what you want to convey to us as individuals this morning, according to this words. Lord, I pray that your word will be alive and active, Lord, and I pray that we will acknowledge it and treat it as the highest authority in our life. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word, we thank you for this opportunity. May you guide us and lead us according to your purposes and your will. We pray this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're going to read together John 5, verse 1 to 3. Uh, and I'm going to read from the NIV translation. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. We're going to pause just there for a moment. We can sometimes create these Instagram images of biblical accounts. And what I mean by this is we can create this picture of what this setting is like. And this picture is probably more an Instagram version than a reality version. When we create this picture, we'll read this and we, we'll see how this beautiful place with this white columns uh, is there. And you can put that picture on. That's an Instagram version of this scene. And this beautifully dressed Jesus, great clothes, coming to this lame, paralyzed man, kneeling down, handing, having this tender conversation. It's just Jesus and this person. And it's the Instagram version because there's, there's great lightning, great light, great exposure. It just looks great. The Instagram version of biblical accounts. And there's nothing wrong with creating these images in our mind, but the reality of this situation is probably much, much different. The reality is 
we read that this pool was situated or located near the sheep gate. Now, it's called the sheep gate because that's the gate through which they took the sheep. Very creative. What do we call that area? Let's just call it the sheep gate. Oh, that's fantastic. That's the area where they took the sheep through the gate towards the temple where they will be sacrificed. So sheep and livestock entered Jerusalem through this gate to the temple to be sacrificed. Now, for a moment, take this Instagram picture of the setting and just taint it with the idea of livestock. For a moment, just think on live animals passing by. Think of the sounds, the smells, the whatever goes with live animals, flies. And just taint that picture for a moment. Just the smells, everything that goes with live animals. What is more, we are told that there is a great number of disabled people lying there. So it's not one person, there's a great number of people lying there. And, and this pool was probably not a small pool that you would find in your, in your yard at home. This was probably as big as a rugby field or even bigger. And there were a multitude of lame, disabled people lying around. Now again, just for a moment, think of the challenges that these people would face. Being blind, being unable to walk, being unable to take care of themselves. Many of these paralyzed people waiting there, hoping to receive healing, would not have been able to wash themselves regularly. This was probably a sight with not-so-nice smells and sights. This is a likely and unpleasant sight and smell of people. What's more... These people are waiting to be healed. They're waiting to be helped into this pool. So they're probably crying. There's suffering taking place. They're weeping aloud. They're calling out aloud, help us. And just this is wailing of people. Everything about the reality of the scene cries out desperation, hopelessness, and despair. It is not an Instagram moment. And Jesus enters this very messy and smelly situation. Jesus chose to go there. And looking at this, I'm reminded that Jesus did not come for the Instagram versions of our lives, but for the messy, desperate, and hopeless, hopeless versions. Jesus didn't enter this world for the Instagram version of Jonathan. He came for the messy, desperate, and hopeless versions. What's more about this location, we read that it is called Bethesda. And Bethesda means house of mercy. There was a specific reason why people were lying at this house of mercy, lying at Bethesda. They were, there was a belief that there was an angel that came down and then stirred the pool. And whenever the water in the pool was stirred, there was this magical occurrence almost. And whoever got into the water first, whenever the water was stirred, 
that person was healed. Now, we don't find any historical evidence that this might have been true, whether biblical or non-biblical. But there was this belief that if people got into the pool when the angel stirred it, they will be healed. So people are lying next to the house of mercy, seeking healing. Seeking healing at this place of mercy. Even today, people are seeking various kinds of healing at different places of mercy. Even today, people are searching for healing at different kinds of Bethesda's. Our culture has multitudes of people who for the purpose of this sermon, we would say is spiritually blind. Like the blind people next to the pool, we live in a culture that's spiritually blind. People whose souls feel lame or even dead. People who are emotionally paralyzed. Crippled by fear, crippled by anxiety, by stress, depression, and burnout. And people are searching for healing. People are searching for emotional and spiritual healing, and we put our hope and our trust for healing in Bethesda's, modern-day Bethesda's, like money. And we pursue money, we pursue wealth, not for the purposes that God has intended it, but to feel better, to heal our soul, to lessen the stress, to lessen the burnout, to lessen the anxiety, to be accepted. We trust the Bethesda pool of finances. Or we run to the Bethesda pool of relationships. Run from one relationship to another relationship. Do everything that's needed that we just accept it. That we feel someone loves us and someone accepts us. And embrace us just as we are. You know, it would be extremely unloving for me as a father to raise my children just as they are. The most loving thing I can do for my children is to help them become the men that God wants them to be, the woman that God has called her to be. It would be unloving to go, just love you the way you are, let's hope for the best. But we run after these Bethesda's of relationships who will do everything and anything to be accepted. We run to test us of sexual pleasure, to feel better, to feel fulfilled, jump in the pool of pornography, hoping that it will restore our soul and heal something emotionally inside of us. We run to the Bethesda of looks and appearances, having the biggest, the best, the greatest being sure that I look in a certain way. Surely if I match up to that Instagram version of myself, then I will be happy. And we jump into the pool of Bethesda in what I do. We jump and we do everything according to feel loved and accepted and significant. We run to our performances. Modern day Bethesda's 
in which we place our hope and our trust to receive healing for our souls and our emotions. The problem with these modern-day Bethesdas is that they bring the hope of healing without lasting change. They bring the hope of healing. Let's be honest, all of them that I've mentioned have some form of healing. For a moment, it makes you feel better. For a moment, it feels you make, you're significant. For a moment, you feel loved. And it brings a hope of healing, but it doesn't bring lasting change. Bethesda. So we need to ask the question, if there's something in your soul and your emotions, what is your Bethesda? What are you putting your trust and hope in for healing? Verse 5, if we continue this scripture. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? A question that all, all of us at one stage or another needs to answer. Do you want to get well? What Jesus is asking him is, do you really want to see change in your life? Every one of us in this life will face this question, do you want to see change in your life? Do you really have a desire to change? And this is how this man answers Jesus. Sir, he replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man's answer to Jesus is full of helplessness and hopelessness. He says, there's no one that can help me. Jesus just asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to see change in your life? And he says, there's no one that can help me. I'm all alone. When you are spiritually and emotionally paralyzed, that's the feeling, loneliness. There's no one that can help me. Helpless. And when I try, when I try to be better, when I try to get healing, when I try to be different, when I do everything that I can, there's always someone else that goes ahead of me and receives. I'm hopeless. Helpless and hopeless. I don't know about you, but I'm just saddened by this man's answer. Yet Jesus stands in front of him and says, do you want to change? Do you want to be well? Our expectation, if we don't know the story, our expectation at this moment might be that this paralyzed man would look to Jesus and grab hold of him and say, yes, yes, please, help me. But he doesn't. There's no response of, yes, I want to change. Yes, I need help. Would you help me? Instead, he's so focused on his circumstances and his challenges and his hope for healing, his Bethesda, that he misses the one that's standing in front of him, Jesus. The only one who can really heal him. 
just misses it. See, we can get so focused on our circumstances, challenges, and the things that we are trusting for that we can miss what God wants to do in our lives. We can, like this man, get so focused on our circumstances, so focused on those challenges that's keeping us behind, so focused on the things that we think are going to bring healing to our lives that we might miss what God wants to do in that moment. Our prayers are filled with, God, if you could just provide this deal, if you could just come through in this way, if you can just bring this healing, if you can just restore this relationship. And it's just, God, would you do, 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 that we do not hear what God wants to do. And we might miss what God wants to do in that moment through your life. Looking at this, we need to ask, In the midst of your circumstances and challenges, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on your challenges? Are you focusing on your circumstances? Are you focusing on your Batistas? Or are you focusing on Jesus? Saying, God, what do you want to do in this? But God is is a compassionate God. And I love this, even though this guy doesn't respond in the way that we expect him to respond, even though he doesn't do what we think he should do, God shows compassion. And we know from John 1 that Jesus is full of mercy and grace. And Jesus, full of mercy and grace, responds to this paralyzed man. And he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Jesus responds with a three-part instruction to this man. Three important things that Jesus says to this man. Firstly, Jesus commands him, get up. Get up. I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, this guy's paralyzed. How's Jesus telling him, get up? But this was a command to faith. This was Jesus calling him out of his circumstances, calling him out of his paralyzed state. And he said, respond to what I'm calling you to do. Get up. And when this man responds in faith to what Jesus is saying, even though I don't, he doesn't know Jesus, even though he doesn't know what Jesus can do, he just responds in faith. God empowers him to rise up above his circumstances. When we respond to God in faith, what he's calling us to, not only does he heal us, but he empowers us to stand up and to go through circumstances and go through those challenges and to rise above it. Get up. Respond in faith. Go there. Do this. Stand up. Church needs to know when to rise up. In a world that's full of hopelessness and despair that challenges everything, we need to know when to rise up. And we need to know when God says, get up. Jesus says, get up and take your mat. <laughs> I find this fascinating. What does Jesus say? Get up. I get get up. You know, that's a response of faith. But take your mat. It's like Jesus, what's that lady that's into minimalism and cleaning up and... What's her name? Something Kondo. 
Mary Kondo. It's like Jesus, a modern or ancient Mary Kondo. We need to clean up this place, create room for others. Why is Jesus saying, take your mat? Get up, I understand, but take your mat. I find it fascinating. Why would Jesus command him? Take your mat. See, for years, this mat has been the symbol of his paralyzed state. For years, this mat has become his permanent residence. For 38 years, he's been confined to this state. When Jesus is telling this man to pick up his mat, what he's telling this man is, believe me, you will not be returning to this place. Pick up your mat. It's what I'm doing in your life. Brings lasting change, not just moments of feeling better. I'm changing your whole destiny. I'm changing your life. I'm giving you a new future. Get up and take your mat. You will not come back to this place. See, when Jesus touches our lives, it doesn't bring temporary healing. It brings lasting change. It changes our future. changes our calling. changes our destiny. changes our purpose. Take your mat. This is not your new home. This is not your life. And then a simple command. Walk. <laughs> walk. Get up, take your mat, and walk. Jesus says, Continue to walk in this new state, in this new life. Do not return, do not turn back to your old condition, your old ways, but to continue to walk out your healing. We continue to walk out our healing, discovering this new life in Jesus through continued obedience to Jesus. We discover this new purpose, this new calling, this new destiny, this new way of living in continued walking in obedience to Jesus. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. This man's response to Jesus brought healing to his paralyzed body and resulted in a completely new life. How will you respond to Jesus? How are you currently responding to Jesus? In preparing for today, I was just constantly taken back to this idea of being paralyzed. I was reminded of a time in my life where I felt um, paralyzed. So on the 17th of June in 2021, uh, that morning, I was uh, positively diagnosed for COVID-19. Some of you know the story. Close to, those of you who are close to me would know my testimony in this. And what happened from there absolutely changed my life. And there's so many things that I can share this morning. There's so many things that I want to share this morning. But for the purpose of the sermon, the purpose of what I believe God wants to do today, I'm going to focus on a very specific part. After being diagnosed, around about 48 hours later, my condition rapidly um, degenerated. I went from 
not feeling well to a place where I really struggled to breathe. I was struggling to, to breathe. Um, we had friends bringing us some oxygen machines that helped us. Um, I had extremely high fever that could not be broken. I stopped eating, not because I didn't want to eat. I just I couldn't eat. I lost all my strength and energy, and I started coughing blood at home. And I was in a really, really dangerous place. So much so, um, Lindy knew she was speaking to some doctors and some friends, and um, they knew I had to get admitted into hospital. Um, but at that stage, if you remember it, was when Pretoria was hit the hardest with COVID, and it was impossible to get into the hospitals. And I can't remember exactly, two or three times they took me um, to the emergency room, and I couldn't get in, couldn't get admitted. And in a sense, being admitted into a hospital became our Bethesda. That was our hope. If I can just get into the hospital, I'll be okay. And that was our prayers. Obviously, we trusted God, but that, that was in the moment our Bethesda. I just needed to get into a hospital. And by the grace of God and through spiritual family, something opened up, a bed opened up. Um, through relationships, which I will maybe share a different time. But I was admitted into the hospital, a little company of Mary. And I remember lying there in the emergency room, and I'm about to be taken into the ward. And obviously at that stage, no one else could come into the hospital, so I had to say goodbye to Lindry. And I knew I was in trouble. Lying there, I knew it wasn't the hospital that's going to save me. I knew I was in trouble. And I had to say goodbye. Not knowing, will I come out? Will I see her and my children again? And I remember just God saying to me, I need to brace myself. Because the hospital will not be my Bethesda. That's not what Jesus said. In that moment, I wouldn't have understood for the purpose of this sermon. And what followed was probably the hardest and most difficult couple of days of my life. It was <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so emotional. It's the guys in Utrecht. <laughs> it's probably the hardest thing that I had to face as an individual. Next couple of days, I was in and out of consciousness. I can't remember if I was one day or day four. I had no breath in my lungs. It was impossible for me to breathe without the assistance of an oxygen machine or oxygen mask. I just couldn't do it. I was completely dependent on oxygen. Um, there was no one there. I was completely alone. Um, I had no strength in my body, and if I say this, I mean no strength. I couldn't walk three steps. I couldn't walk if someone didn't help me. I struggled to sit up straight. I struggled to move. For all practical reasons, reflecting back, I was paralyzed, confined to a bed, dependent on oxygen. One evening specifically, 
I'm not saying this lightly. I thought this is how it feels to die. There was one evening where I struggled. I was just sweating and couldn't get breath. And I felt, it felt, best way I can describe it as life leaving my body. And I thought, this is it. I might die tonight. And within all of these thoughts and emotions of facing that reality in that moment, I just remember in a moment praying, God help me. Whatever I need to face now, God help me. What followed is so difficult for me to put into words. I've never, ever experienced the presence of God like I did that evening, facing what I believed was death. I've never experienced the tangible presence of God like that evening. It was as something filled that room. And the best way that I can describe it is as a sense of a hand that's placed on my chest and such a clear voice telling me, I'm with you. And in that moment, it's just as if air filled my lungs. And I felt I took a breath for the first time in days. It was just a, it was just one breath, and then I was back. And then something happened that I can't explain, but just the peace of God just came over me. And that was it. If I'm really honest, even in that moment, I wasn't sure if God's going to heal me now. Spoiler alert, He did heal me. I am here. But even in that moment, I didn't know if I would make it. But God was with me. I cannot tell you how loved I felt in that moment. Going through the most difficult thing that I had to face, but to know that Almighty God was with me. And something happened in that moment that I would treasure for the rest of my life. Never, ever, ever will any person or anything be able to tell me God is not real. Because I put struggle to put in words how real he was for me. The almighty creator was willing to step down and for a moment touch someone like me and say, I'm with you. Something changed in my soul. And I don't know what I might face in this life. I don't know what difficulty might lie ahead of us. But I know that I know that I know that I know God is with me. And something happens when we put our focus on Jesus and we say, God, help me. Whatever needs to happen, help me. It changes something in our soul. 
sometimes it results in the healing that we're trusting for, and sometimes it doesn't. We don't know why. I'm fortunate enough to stand here today and say, I can testify. But I can share with you whatever you're facing, whatever thing is paralyzing your life, God is with you. And if you allow him to, he will change your soul. I don't know what's paralyzing you. I don't know what's paralyzing maybe your body or your soul or your emotions. But I know that Jesus was willing to enter this sinful and messy world in order to deal with the messy part of our lives. And if you really want to see change in your life, stop putting your trust and your hope in the Bethesda's of this world. Because Jesus became the house of mercy. Jesus became the house of God's mercy. And if we put our focus on Jesus, that you would see that he is the only one that can bring lasting healing to your life. Because he became man. Entered the messy world. And in spite of the mess and the sin and the pain of this world, he lived a life in perfect obedience to the Father. A life that none of us can live. And then he took the penalty that all of us deserve because of sin. He took the pain of the world, the diseases of this world, the things that paralyzes us, the unhealthy emotions. He took on himself on the cross. And he died where we were supposed to die, in suffering. But he didn't just stay dead on the cross. He was raised to life the same way we sang earlier this morning. We believe there's an open grave. And because there's an open grave, he now has authority over disease, over struggles, over emotions, over anxiety, over fear, and over sin. And because of his authority, he offers new life everyone who is willing to really want to change focus on him and respond to him my prayer to us this morning as a church is may we respond to Jesus I don't know how what you're facing or what you're going through I don't know what parts of your soul feels lame or paralyzed I don't know what emotions is paralyzing who you are and what God has called you to be. But may you hear Jesus this morning enter that messy part of your life and say, I am the house of grace and mercy. Get up, take your mat and walk.